authority of the mystic guardians of the universe on the far distant planet Oa, Hal Jordan test pilot becomes the Green Lantern. Whether it's someone who's faster than a speeding bullet, or someone who has the ability to summon and command all creatures of the deep, we have been drawn to the characters of the DC Universe for over 70 years now. Adding to that rich tapestry is the animated adventures of these DC comic book characters. Whether it's the Max Flesher cartoons of the 40s, or the animation explosion that began with Batman in the late 80s, and continues to this day with direct-to-DVD releases, the DC Universe has been a rich one to mine in terms of animation. Join Arenthal Hawkins and Jay Smith for this week's episode of The Chronic Rift, as they welcome guests, illustrator and actor Arnie Starr, and Gamers Haven podcast host Ethan Parker, in discussing the DC Animated Universe in our roundtable discussion. You can find this episode and more Rift goodness on iTunes, Zoom, or by visiting us at chronicrift.mebio.com. We all feel better. In the dark. We all feel better. We all feel better. In the dark. Kick your ass! And say, since he's my friend, I'll have to kick your ass, too. You know? First you give us this stupid Poughkeepsie yeah, tapes I mean, you know, bullshit ripoff. Because he's my boy. Yeah. 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 Check it. Let me tell you about these two dudes from Brooklyn. You won't view movies the same way again. Every two weeks you get something new and hate it or love it, they break it down for you. Tom DJ and Derek Ferguson been writing for years, got respect from the peers. Watch these movies for all benefit. The watching Halloween, love Tom rather spit. How about a couple musicals or maybe Dennis Quaid? But Tom's on a rant, directors be afraid. Episodes classic, don't get it twisted. And from the start, these two have been gifted. Tom loves Kristen and Derek loves Pam. Tom hates heroes and Derek can't stand. Remake some movies that don't need remade. Watch out studios, they won't be played. So give it up for T and give it up for D. Coolest guys from Brooklyn, this side of Jay-Z. My name's B hyphen and it's time to start. Cause we all feel better, better, better in the dark. Please. I like to sit in the middle. What the hell am I supposed to do? You got room, you're little. You want to sit on this side? Fuck you. Go watch that movie. Hey, hey, Derek. Look, look what I got here. It's it's a radio-controlled car with a bomb inside. And what do you plan on doing with that, Thomas? I figured we could chase Rush Limbaugh around for an hour or so. Oh, uh, no good. No? No? What, what about Pat Robinson? Oh, yeah. Now, Pat Robinson, yes. Okay. Definitely. That's a man that definitely needs a bomb driven up his ass. <laughs> and you know how I learned about this? How so? From watching Andy Sidaris movies. Oh, yeah. Well, if you want to learn about radio-controlled cars, <laughs> hot tubs, <laughs> right. badly written dialogue... <laughs> Go to Andy Sedaris. This is Tom DJ. And this is Derek Ferguson. And we have a guest today. Because we're talking about a set of movies about girls, directed by, may I call him a great, great man? Mm, great. A great, a great man. great man. Okay. But he's a great man. And since we're talking about movies about girls, who better to bring on than the host 
of the Movie About Girls podcast. Put your hands together for Ken McIntyre. Thanks. That's real clap. clap. Yes, That's it is. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting yeah. it all here. Hi, fellas. Can I say, before we begin, it's a thrill and an honor to be on the Better in the Dark podcast. You guys are pioneers of this podcasting business. You're kidding. Pioneers? Pioneers. Now, I just have this vision of me, like, in a hat, with a covered wagon, just going around shooting people. Not only are you two pioneers, but, you know, we talked uh, before, Tom, about the concept of street cred. Nobody has more street cred than the Better in the Dark podcast for two reasons. One, you guys are from Brooklyn. Right? You can't get any cooler than that unless you come from someplace dangerous. I mean, if there's two guys, there's two guys doing a cult movie show in Baghdad or something, they trump you. But otherwise... Well, someplace in Compton. In a cave in Afghanistan. Exactly. That's number one. And number two, you guys have a black guy. You know, I like him. You can't have more street cred than that. I like, I like, I like him. So that's something we aspire to on our show. At some point in this show, we'd like to have our, our black guy as well. Lesbian, if that's possible. Then Let's hear it for affirmative action. Right. I really have the rainbow that we're looking for. I do want to point out, since Ken is from one of my favorite cities, Boston, in honor of his appearance, I am wearing I my... I wish it was one of my favorite cities. I, <laughs> I am wearing my throwback Boston Red Sox jersey today. And I can confirm he is indeed wearing it. I had to go to uh, New York twice last year, and there was a menace going to New York City. Ridiculous. It's too crowded, and it's, uh, it's, it's frightening. That's what I always hear from people when they come from out of town. Yeah. I would say, why is it so claustrophobic in here? Do you yeah. get to New York often, Ken? Only when I have to for work, because, you know, I'm a rock journalist, and sometimes you have to go interview rock and roll people in New York City. Oh, okay. Otherwise, I try to... I try not to leave my neighborhood, to be honest with you. If it wasn't for my job, I'd never even leave the neighborhood, but sometimes it brings me to New York City. Although you can buy t-shirts really cheaply in New York City. I can tell you that much. If you want a t-shirt that says New York City on it, you can get, like, three or I think they give them out, like, four for a dollar. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, if you go on Times Square, yeah, for, for, you know, 20 bucks or something like that. You clearly have that much going for it. I've never been to Brooklyn, though. Yes. I hear good things. Oh, okay. Well, the next time you have to come down for any period of time, we should probably talk about having you come down and do this live with us. Absolutely. Love to. Uh, what do you guys do that allows you to make broadcasting on a Friday morning? Well, Tom is off usually yeah. on Fridays, and I have a very wonky schedule that allows me the flexibility that I can do this on Friday morning. Trust me, if I wasn't doing this on Friday, I would be asleep. Because my job, usually I get off at 8 o'clock in the morning. So, so Derek, you're like a third shift guy? Yeah, 12 midnight oh. to 8 a.m. Oh, that really, it's got to throw you off, right? Not really, I love it. No, I love working at night more than the daytime, really. People don't bother you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's my biggest problem at my job. People bother me. Yeah. I actually get a lot of writing done at night. Yeah, I don't mind it. I've done that for years now, and I love when I worked for Home Depot. I had the night shift, say from twelve midnight to eight a.m. Okay. I loved the hours. Didn't like working for Home Depot. What do you guys do now, uh, Tom? You're a writer, right? I'm a writer, but I basically pay my bills by selling stuff. Oh, so, <laughs> what kind of stuff? Like uh, awesome stuff, or I work at a sporting goods store. Probably why I went and babbled about sports on your show last week. <laughs> 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 Barking up the wrong tree on that one. Oh, <laughs> you didn't ask about football, did you, Ken? No. Ah, he made a reference to the crybaby quarterback. Oh, okay. That's no, what I made a reference to his wife. Oh, okay. Because if you get him started on football, man, this guy will football, football, football. He loves his football. Just remember, every time the team from New England wins, the baby Jesus cries. Yeah. 
But listen, it's great to be on with you guys. I do enjoy your show quite a bit. And before I ever had a podcast, I listened to yours. So. Oh, thank, thank you, you so very much, much my friend. I and, and what I especially like about you guys, and I don't know if, if you're cheating or not, but you can't tell when you're, you're listening, it seems as though you guys dredge like half-forgotten memories out of nowhere with perfect details, and it amazes me every time I listen to the show. Well, I'm going to tell you something. My wife, and she will always tell people this, she says that she has no idea how it is I cannot remember the names, faces, phone numbers, birthdays of 90% of my relatives, but yet I can remember in complete detail the entire movie I saw once 20 years ago. I said, my brain is just hardwired that way. What do you want me to tell I, I like to tell people that my brain is geared for junk. Ask me to explain physics or chemistry or the political situation in Rwanda. No idea. Ask me to expound on the history of the Finleys. I'm there. There you go. <laughs> you guys must be a lot of fun at parties then. I don't go to many parties. He doesn't go to parties. And I can tell you why. Yeah. But that'll be off the air. Right. <laughs> what a team you guys are. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, you know, by the way, you've got to tell Jimmy Ether I said, hey. Yeah, absolutely. Before you guys did the podcast together, did you guys work together on something else? Were you friends? What happened? How did you guys get... Uh, okay, here's the saga of how we met. All right. Tom, Tom and I had actually known each other because... Both he and I, both being writers, we also like writing superhero fan fiction. And here on Ken shows, when he would put, where does the queer porn start? <laughs> yeah. So that's actually how we, and we first officially met, met face and to face. I remember the first email you sent to me where you said, the thing that impressed you was that I mentioned Stu Hart's dungeon in a story. Yeah, because I had sent you an email saying, oh, I like your writing. <laughs> but we didn't meet face to face until Tom went to see Hellboy. That was the right. first movie we saw together. And he right. said, well, listen, I got tickets to go see Hellboy, a screening you right. know, for free. You want to hook up and we go see it. And I met him. We had a great time. Alone. F. Paul Wilson was yeah. there. I, well, I was at the time a member of the Horror Rides Association of New York. Right. Which F. Paul Wilson and all these other guys belong to. Yeah. And I remember that. You just happened to be standing. Yeah. I'm like, hey, let me introduce you to F. Paul Wilson because I had known him for uh, a while. And I saw. I, uh, I didn't know <laughs> that Derek was a major fan of the Repairman Jack books was, at the time. Humming a humming a humming a humming a humming a humming a Wow. <laughs> I was shaking like a 15-year-old girl meeting the Jonas Brothers. I don't mind saying that. But that's how we officially met, and one thing led to another after that. We were working on writing projects right. together, and then the whole thing with the podcasting started, which was kind of we fell into backwards. It right. started out as something else. We've told this story on the show in the past. I had somebody who had a internet radio station devoted to science fiction and wanted original content, came to me. I said, let's see, what could we do? We could do a movie show, and if I'm going to do a movie show, I'm going to do it with my best friend here who knows everything right. about movies. The guy proved to be an asshat and didn't actually post any of our shows. They were kind of like pilot episodes, right, so right. to speak. We yeah. did six, and if the guy liked them, we'd do six more. There we were, we were stuck with these six things, and we didn't want to waste it. We didn't want to throw right. it away. We looked at each other, and we said, well, why not just put them out there ourselves? Yeah, I went to my friend... Chris Johnson, and said, hey, how is your pod hosting? And he said, oh, go to this place, Podomatic, which we learned later sucked. We started on Podomatic, we switched over to Lipson. We were invited by our good friend Michael David Sims to be on Earth2.net's community. You'll be pleased to know, by the way, Ken, that we now have a central site for people who can't remember all the wacky URLs because of the person we're going to talk about it in a few seconds, which is now bitdsite.com. All right, we're getting there. We started doing this, 
And then one day, Tom actually brought me some numbers, and I said, you mean people actually listen to this shit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, you mean we actually have listen? And yeah, apparently, people out there enjoy what we're doing. So hey, we just kept doing it. Yeah. It's beautiful. Ken wanted to help us with some viewer mail. Okay. I'm going to start with a little letter from Kelly Loge, and he writes, hey guys. So you know that Kelly is a boy and not a girl? I have to assume it's a boy. I don't know why, it's just a gut feeling. Is he going to talk about comic books or something? Uh, well, you'll find out. I'm going to envision it as a girl. Okay. You envision it as a boy, we'll... <laughs> well, if we're going to envision it as a girl, I might as well envision it as a girl. <laughs> At which okay. point, we may lose a listener if it turns out it is a guy. Okay. But anyway, Kelly writes, Hey guys, I just wanted to write and say that I really enjoy your podcast. I first heard about your show when Tom guest starred on Michael Bailey's Views from the Long Box. I do have some criticisms, though. First, I wish you had a new show every week. Uh, have you thought about doing a mini-episode, say two to five minutes long, on the weeks where you don't have full episodes? Hell no. Another movie podcast I listen to, The Flophouse, is also on a two-week schedule. On the off weeks, they post a mini-episode. Just a thought. Second, I know you guys are probably busy, but it would be nice if you had a website I can go to. I don't have iTunes. Right now, I download new episodes of your show from Earth2.net, and I downloaded old episodes from your Lipsyn site. But it would be nice just to have a single website to go to to download new and old episodes, visit forums, and contact info. That way, Tom wouldn't have to give out all the info at the end of the episode. All right, enough criticism. Derek, you have made me a fan of the Assassination Bureau. Thank you for that recommendation. What a great movie. I read on Wikipedia, so take this with a grain of salt, that Ryan O'Neill was considered for the part of James Bond based on his performance in the movie. Is that true? Speaking of James Bond, I don't know if you guys know this, but there was an episode of the 1980s Alfred Hitchcock Presents called Diamonds Aren't Forever. With the guy from On a Majesty's Secret Service. In that episode, George Lazenby played a mysterious secret agent, only identified as James, Uh, who was called in to investigate strange going-ons in a hotel. Now, it's been about ten years since I've seen this episode, but I do remember that the James Bond homages were plentiful. In fact, I think it ends with the iconic gunshot silhouette. Unfortunately, the only place I've been able to find this episode is a bootleg copy on eBay. But if you get a chance, I would recommend it. I have three questions for you. One, has there ever been a film that you were really looking forward to, but when you saw it, the film turned out to be very disappointing? I have several films that fit into this category, but for me the top three are The Spirit, Hell Yeah, Oh Yeah, Superman Returns, Hell Hell Yeah, yeah. and Spider-Man 3, Hallelujah, Hell Yeah! Oh, man. What about you, Ken? Anything that you saw that really disappointed you, even though you had great expectations for it? Very recently, I would suppose it would be Jennifer's body. See, I can't stand that Megan Fox bitch. I got no problems with Megan Fox. She's lovely to look at. It was the terror dialogue. Megan Fox needs to eat a cheeseburger. I'm tired Uh, of these little skinny... Well, you heard my rant on Telephone Call, for instance. Never stopped you before. I like a woman with curves as long as they're proportional. When they become spheroid, then I've got a problem. Also, New Wave Hookers 4 wasn't as good as the first three. <laughs> really? Sure. Really? Well, so. that goes off my Netflix queue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Has there ever been a film that you heard was terrible, but then you saw it, and it turned out to be pretty good? For me, that would be Wolverine X-Men Origins. We talked about, was it Skyriders? You know what? I'd agree with that. I had very low expectations for that movie, and I was really surprised at how much I did actually enjoy it. However, the funny thing about that movie is, I'm going to tell you the truth, I've seen that movie three times, Mm -hmm. and it's an hour after I see it, it's like Chinese food, I don't actually remember what it was about. You understand what I mean? While I'm watching it, I'm enjoying what I'm watching, but an hour too late, if you ask me to explain what happened, Mm -hmm. I really couldn't tell you. Well, there's a number of films that come to mind. One is, I'm trying to remember, it was Skyriders, I think it was called, from the 70s. Is this Skyriders or Skyriders? Riders. It's about a 
bunch of guys who get together and save a, a Hyrus's daughter using hang gliding. Oh, James Colburn. With James Colburn, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which I was like, why do I want to watch this? But I got really drawn into he it. He gets as a, a bunch kid. of hang gliding right. because it's up on a mountaintop that mm-hmm. can't be climbed, and the only way to get on it is by hang gliding. Oh, it was hang gliding exploitation. It was hang gliding exploitation. <laughs> yes, <laughs> just like of course we're going to get to a movie in the Sedaris canon that was auto gyro exploitation. And another one that I can think of is Jim Cotta. It was on a double bill at the old Drake movie theater. That's the one with the hole in the... That's where I saw that. Yeah, that's where I saw that. And it was on a second bill with, I think it was Fright Night. I had such a ball with that movie. Oh, yeah. it's so freaking goofy. It's just completely goofy. And my favorite part is I still love the fact that the hot Thai princess has as her father Mm -hmm. a guy who looks like Stan Lee. Yeah, I really dug her role. And she was a girl that you thought she couldn't talk, it turned out that she didn't talk. It's just that she never right. spoke until she had something to say. The guy with the whole putting the martial arts together yeah. with the gymnastics, yeah, that's a fun movie. I really love Jim Carter. Ken, do you have any of the films that you heard was terrible initially, but you ended up liking? Certainly one that I had no idea that I was going to like so much was The Wife Got Me to Watch the Original Gidget with Sandra Day. Mm. I absolutely loved it. It's one of my favorite movies now. Although I agree with you when you talked about it on your podcast that it's kind of hard to watch Gidget now without thinking about all the shit that Sandra D went through. Yeah, life's tough. She was married to Bobby Darren, right? Yes, she was. I remember. But she had, how should we put it, without grossing people out, she had a very bad childhood. I remember watching... Exactly. I thought I had a bad childhood until I heard about her childhood. Now I've had a wonderful childhood in comparison. I remember watching the movie, the Ken Spacey biopic that he did. Beyond the Sea. And even from that movie, I said, damn, Sandra D put up with a lot of shit from St. Bobby. From the way that Kevin Spacey played him, it was like, you know, I was waiting for the scene where Bobby Darren walks on water. Who played uh, Sandra D in the TV movie? Do you remember, Derek? I have, don't remember at all. I'm blanking too. All right. Uh, The third and final question he has is, finally, have there ever been a film that you really liked when you first saw it, but you watch it again a few years later and you don't like it as much? Sin City is that film for me. I can think of a few. Like, Buckaroo Banzai kind of lost its luster watching it recently. Get out of my house. (laughs) I'm just saying is all. Get out of my house. I still enjoy it. (laughs) What about you? How dare you speak against Buckaroo Banzai? What about you? What about me? I don't know. I'm trying to think. Nothing really pops out at me about movies, you know, okay. that I haven't I'm sure there are. Then again, there are movies that, if I feel they lost their lust, I just simply don't watch right. them. Wait a minute. There was one that I just didn't watch. Oh, The Usual Suspects. Right. I watched The Usual Suspects. It came on not too long ago. And for some reason, it just wasn't the same mm-hmm. to me. Like, when I first saw it, oh, wow, oh. this is incredible. This is great. But now I look at it and say, eh. I thought of another film from a second question mm-hmm. that I, I kept hearing was terrible that I actually ended up kind of liking, which is the second Blair Witch. I like that a lot better Witch than Book the first. Yeah. I, like I mean, it. I still think it's a very flawed film, but I thought it was a very interesting approach of how to yeah. tackle this thing. Exactly. If they're going to do a sequel, that's the best way to do it. Right. Well, apparently you were supposed to watch Blair Witch 2 backwards and it would make more sense. <laughs> <laughs> you hear, I buried Paul. <laughs> Sequentially, if you wa- supposedly if you watch it backwards, it makes more sense. That there is no easy way to take care of your lady business with this thing on. You know what I mean, Jolene? <laughs> um, can I borrow someone's script? I think I lost mine in here somewhere. Uh, I've only got one hand. Peace. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, I have no idea. I have no idea what that was, folks. Oh, I don't know what that was, man. That's a very. It's a- that was, what's her name, Kristen Chenoweth, but I don't know where that came from. I like Kristen Chenoweth. 
Well, who doesn't? But I don't know. No, you may like Kristen Chenoweth. I like Kristen Chenoweth. I was a huge fan of Pushing Daisies, mm. which uh, so, now, Pushing Daisies to me was a show that tried so hard to be quirky that it ended up being incomprehensible. Yeah, but you know okay. what their major problem was. But I which, love Kristen Chenoweth, which I don't was. understand. Why get all these terrific people in this one show that are known for their singing voices, and then you don't let them sing? They had Ellen Green from right. Shopahari. You had uh, Ellen Chenoweth. You had well, Chenoweth. She, she sang a couple. She times. sang a couple of times. A couple she sang, of times. Remember, I mean, it was in the second episode. She did that hopelessly devoted to you. But they should have did the whole show as a complete musical. Every episode should have been a musical. I probably would have been able to get into it a little bit better if it was like that, because that would be much more bizarre, I guess. Because they tried so hard to be Tim Burton-ish, yeah. and they were trying too hard. And I think the biggest problem was, I thought the main character, what's it, the guy who brought the people back to life, yeah. was a void. He was so without any charisma mm-hmm. that you were like, well, who cares if he gets together with the redhead? Yeah, And, and I always was going like, well, why don't he get together with, with the little blonde girl? And I never understood this why, okay, well, the guy brought you back to life, but if he touches you again, mm-hmm. right. you're going to die. You know what? I'm moving to the other side right. of the country. I'm not <laughs> hanging around where you may get pissed. Oh, you bitch. Right. And he puts his, oh, you ruined my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm moving. You know what? Thanks a lot for bringing me back for the dead. I'll drop your line from wherever I end up at. But to, to answer Kelly's question, were you still on the Yeah, line? yeah, I was about to ask you. I realize uh, as I get older, I, I mellow out quite a bit. And in the, when I was a younger man, I think I was angrier because I liked a lot of angry movies that I don't really like anymore. For example, for a long time, my favorite movie of all time was the original Bad Lieutenant. Oh, okay. Yo, Harvey Keitel. I can't deal with it now, though. Oh, yeah. It's one of those movies where it's like, I'm grateful I got the chance to see it, but I don't think I ever want to revisit it. I watched it dozens of times when it was originally released, but I don't have the stomach for it anymore. Yeah. I'm a good time guy now. Yeah. Man. <laughs> There's a lot in what you say, Ken, because I find I'm that same way too, because I've seen Bad Lieutenant like maybe like five, six, mm-hmm. seven, eight times. But it came on the right. Independent Film Channel. I recorded it on my DVR, and then after a day or two late, I said, I really don't want to see this. And I deleted right. it, because I've seen it six times. I don't need to see it again. I know what happens. Getting back to Kelly's letter. This is an involved letter. Yeah, all right. Sorry about the long email, but keep up the good work, and I look forward to the next episode. You should mention, because he did make mention of Yeah, I was about to say. Oh, excuse me. Um, Later on, Kelly wrote us again to let us know that he set up a Better in the Dark website for us. That's purely Better in the Dark exclusive. It used to have this long, involved URL, but he has since shortened it to, as we mentioned earlier, bitdsite.com. And it's got links to everything on it. It's got links to the Earth 2 message board, to the one that Eric Frome, our original message board. It's got links to how to contact us, to our live journals, our Facebook pages, everything that you want to know. Also, I feel like you're only interested in one of our mini-series within the series, like Guilt Edge Bonds or Marvel at the Movies. You can go to pages specifically devoted to that. Right. The guys did a fantastic job. And he is going to be putting together a list. I'm going to put it together for him of our good friends in the potosphere, like Ken and like Des Reddick, who is on Dread Media, and Michael Bailey, and all those other people that we've had on guesting on the show. We should have him on, but I don't know how that would work out because he lives in Alaska. What is it? Better? It's better N or in? Better N or in? Better in the dark. It's from. In the dark. Sight. Site, B-I-T-D site, just the letters B-I-T-D. B-I-T-D site. Site dot com, yes. Just to clarify. Okay, I got one more email, and then we'll get to the Andy Zadar's goodness. 
This is from Brad Couples. Hey, gents. First off, I love the show. I've been listening for quite a while now, and I am so thankful that you guys have covered some of my personal favorite, rarely discussed films, especially Lord of Illusions, which really creeped me out as a kid and can't stop the music, which is the greatest America cinema achievement ever created by mortal man. Okay. You guys have introduced me to a lot of great movies, and I thank you for working through the 007 series and saving me from having to watch all the Pierce Brosnan debacles that I skipped. Now is the part of the email where I sound like a fool. As part of my New Year's resolution, I am promoting my podcast, Ramjack. We are amazing. Seriously. You hear that, but we deliver. To give you a taste of what we, as newly minted media celebutants are creating our most recently posted episode, The Red Snuggle of Ramjack, a holiday homecoming, episode 24, contains the following. Mail an octopus for the new year. The final Martha Stewart promise. An organic Christmas equals revolting. Walmart drive through The happiest place in America doesn't know any better. Gray-haired tweens are disturbing the natural order of everything. Hey, internet bitches, let me have my spring roll in peace. Star Wars Holiday Specials presents Wookiee porn and more of the next generation. And he provides us with the URL, which is curiosityabounds.com backslash ramjack. <laughs> Who can spell that? <laughs> R-A-M-J-A-C-K. Uh, Curiosityabounds? Curiosityabounds.com. And oh, you will God. be sending him an email telling him where he can send the check, right? Yes, of okay. course. I would love to have you check us out, as, let's be honest, the largest audience of podcasts seem to be people making podcasts. But if nothing else, we are currently on a quest for people to send us drawings of their fears. We generally promise not to use the knowledge of your fears against you on the field of battle. It's just our thing. I am not drawing them a picture of Tara Reid attacking me. All right, you've just read the descriptions. Yeah. The- Jack, can you succinctly, in a sentence, tell me what the Ram Jack podcast is about? It, Thank you, because that's what I'm waiting on, too. It sounds like <laughs> oh. it's one of these two guys talking about the events of the day. Oh, boy. They might do it brilliantly. It's but possible. I'm still going to give it a try. That's not an email. That's a commercial. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that is the email okay. for this section. And now we get to talk about, because Derek took away one of his greats, a great man. Mr. Andy Sidaris. Now, as our guest, Ken, we have asked you to prepare a statement about the life and times of Mr. Andy Sidaris. So, folks, we give you Ken. Uh, Generally, I do a closing statement, but today I'm doing an opening. So, here we go. Andy Sidaris is just as obsessive and accomplished a filmmaker as Russ Meyer, but with none of the hipster accolades or highbrow literary dissection. Luckily, good old Andy was never interested in that bullshit anyway. He was just in it for the kicks and the chicks. Sedaris had a lurid but imminently marketable vision of a beach blonde Shangri-La with bikini-stretching government agents and their muscle-tearing kung fu sex toys taking on the most vague forms of machine-gun evil imaginable in lush landscapes of extravagant beauty. This 80s-born Sedarisian wonderland found a happy home in the blurry-eyed world of late-night cable television. It still does, in fact. Click on anything from Showtime to Cinemax at 2 a.m., and the next pop top is most likely Andy's doing. What makes his film so watchable, even after many repeated viewings, is their complete lack of pretense. There can't be absurdity played as straight as humanly possible, and of course the chicks, many of them fresh off the pages of Playboy and Penthouse. His unwavering faith in bullets, bombs, and babes became such an exact science that the DVD booklets for his films come with a handy guide for how many of the three Bs are included in each chapter. And of course, at least one, and sometimes all three, come rolling in every scene, without fail, every time. Beyond his obvious prowess in filmmaking, Andy Sidaris was also that rarest of gems, a genuinely nice guy, one who loved and took pride in his work, and who openly shared it with anyone who asked. 
Sadly, Andy died in 2007, but like all great men, death will not diminish his name or his work. Both live on in the hearts and minds and DVD and VHS collections of anyone who enjoys the simple but eternal pleasures of pretty girls in tight clothes blowing shit up. Andy, <laughs> you made a man out of many, many boys, and we humbly salute you. Yes. Oh, thank you. The great Mr. Ken McIntyre. Thank you. And... Even before he became a motion picture mogul, Andy was really integral in television. I was um, surprised looking at his biography that they had on one of the DVDs. He apparently won a whole truckload of Emmys for his work in ABC Sports over mm-hmm. the years. He directed football games. Yeah. He directed the Summer Olympics a couple of he years. Was, he was yeah. integral to creating the format that is now Monday Night Football. Every time you see a shot on the sidelines of a cheerleader at a football game, <laughs> right. that's Andy Sidaris's legacy. Why am I not he, surprised? He, well, yeah, he created what he referred to as the honey shot, mm-hmm. which is, uh, well, let's keep the guys interested, especially in those fourth quarters when we know who's going to win the game. Exactly. Let me ask you this. He was the first director of the Wide World of Sports. Was that mm-hmm. the Agony of Defeat one? Yes. Yeah. The Thrill of Victory and the Agony of Defeat. Who that was his doing. I wonder if he came up with that. For years, I watched that show just to see that guy bust his ass <laughs> on the ski slope. <laughs> I always wondered, did he survive after that? One of these days, i got to look that up and see whatever happened to that guy. So that was very much the precursor to YouTube videos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the things that Ken said I think is very, very true is that Andy Zdorris loved his work and was very humble about sharing it with people. When Ken and I were talking about possible subjects mm-hmm. for this crossover episode, we both, turns out, we had an Andy Zdorris story. For me, it was when I was doing Sticky Carpet Digest back in the 80s. This was back when podcast culture was fanzine culture. Hey, let me ask you this before you continue. You did Sticky Carpet. Did you know, I mean, there was a bunch of other New York-based fanzines. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys all know each other? Did you know Rick Sullivan and the guys that um, did and all that? I knew Mike Gingold, of course, who's now my editor at Fangoria. Right. There were a couple other guys. Uh, Steve Pachowski I knew and would talk to from time to time. There were some of us who also just couldn't stand each other. <laughs> uh, yeah, so what were the rivalries? For some reason, there was this guy, went under the pseudonym Selwyn Harris. Yeah, the Happy Land guy. Happy Land, who decided that I was the source of all that was evil and wrong in the world, and needed to die. So, is that possible that it was true? I don't think so, because we all know that the Sinister Sweatshirt and the Crybaby Quarterback are the source of all that is evil and wrong in the world. (laughs) I did an article, I think it was in the third issue, about the Sedaris films. Usually I would be in this habit of... Wait, so wait a minute, did you ever settle your problems with Selwyn Harris? Best my knowledge, no. He's still off there seething, probably doing a show from his basement. So, wait a minute, I mean, we're, doing a, show we're doing a show from the basement, so what are you talking about? Yes. <laughs> did you have, like, warring editorials in your fanzines? We uh, occasionally traded barbs with each other. He was a lot more invested, I think, in this war than I was. He works for Mr. Skin now. No, but I, I have talked to him a couple of times. But, uh, yeah, I remember Happy Land. That was, uh, was bananas. I read yours as well. I was yes. very uh, into the 80s. Everybody scene. loved, for some reason, in that fanzine, the Ask Shokashugi advice column I did. <laughs> right. You know? Which I guess is a precursor to Ask a Ninja. Yeah. What have you done with all those? Where, where are I you? still have, somewhere in my apartment, I'm sure I have a pile of issues that never got sold. You should throw those things online, man. Scan them, put them online. The world's got to see them. Good idea. A couple of schlock is up there on the uh, internet these days. Right. I mean, a lot of the people are posting their old fans. That's well, all I'm saying. Go ahead. Okay, continue. go ahead. I don't derail your thing. But, but anyway, uh, I did an article on Sidaris, and it was in my habit that if I did an article on somebody, if I could find an address for them, I would send them a copy. A couple of months later, I'm doing an assignment for, remember Video Review Magazine, Ken? Yes, absolutely. 
I was doing an assignment where they would have me go around interviewing people about their favorite types of films per month. This month it was about action films, and one of the people on that list was Andy Sedaris. So I called up his office, and I got to talk to him. I did the interview, and he said, wait a minute, I knew your name was familiar. You're that Sticky Carpet Digest guy. Wow. And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, I just sent you out something, so keep an eye on your mailbox. I, I sent you out a little thank you package. Two days later, I come home, and there is a box about yay big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got, as if Ken can see this, right? Yeah. About, maybe like about two feet high. About two or three feet high, yeah. About a foot and a half wide, filled with all sorts of promotional material from, at that point, for Andy Sidaris film. Posters, and press books, and clothing, most t-shirts and stuff. He hooked you up. And he... He did not have to do that. Of course not. That and can you have a similar story? Very nice of him. Well, we were in touch here and there because I had uh, done a bunch of reviews mm-hmm. for his movies on my Sleaze Grinder site, and we found out that he'd made a film in the early 70s called Stacy. That was his first film. Right, exactly, which happens to be my wife's name, and it's spelled the same way. We bought the poster because uh, we really liked it. It's on our living room wall, and we want, obviously we wanted to see the movie. It was impossible to find, so I uh, asked uh, Andy via email if uh, he knew where I could find it. And he sent his personal VHS copy for me to borrow. It was uh, beautiful. And then uh, he, he let me borrow it, and I sent it back to him, and we talked about it. It was great. And then he called me out of the blue when I was still working a day job to ask me how I liked it, you know? <laughs> he was just a guy that was just really, uh, despite having... Uh, I think he was always up. kept in mind how he had this second career in his life because of people like us and yeah. never let us forget how much he was grateful for it. Yeah, it was beautiful. He's a guy that just, I don't know, he, he did stuff right. And a lot of us, you know, we lead quiet lives. He did not do that. He had a place in Florida and a place in Hawaii. You can't argue with a guy mm-hmm. like that. Yes. Listen, as far as I'm concerned, it's hard to argue with success, period. But you touched on something that I really got a spirit of while I'm watching his movies. And I do enjoy watching directors, actors, who don't have any pretensions about what they're doing. He knew he wasn't going to make Academy Award winning movies. He knew he was never going to work with people like Robert De Niro or Meryl Streep. He didn't care. He found his niche and he was happy with it. He said, okay, this is what I can do. I can do it better than anybody Mm -hmm. else and I'm happy doing this. I think we should also make mention of the fact that he also had a great wife who was a spectacular producer. Mrs. Sedaris was a saint. As far as I'm concerned, we should all have wives like Mrs. Sedaris. You and I have talked about, Derek, one of the things I love is listening to the commentary tracks and hearing the nuts and bolts of how these films got done and how they took advantage of happy accidents, just found a way around to make these things look better than they had any right to look. I got home real late last night, and then the mail was Savage Beach, so I was watching it today before Tom came over. And I was telling Tom, one of the things I like listening to the commentary from Arlene, not so much Andy, because he Mm -hmm. tends to go on and on and on about how beautiful the girls look. Hey, Andy, I got it the first 20 times you said it. The girl's beautiful. Mm -hmm. But she actually gives you... The nuts and bolts, she describes things like I was telling you that she right. mentioned on Savage Beach how they filmed one scene on one side of the road and then they just turned the camera right. to the other side of the road because in Hawaii it looked completely different on mm-hmm. that side. See, that's the type of stuff I like to hear when I listen to a right. director's commentary. Going back to the Russ Meyer thing, Russ had this vision where he just shot everything in the desert and the desert is so expressive that it's like a very cheap special effect. It was the same thing from Hawaii. It's hard mm-hmm. to make 
Hawaii not look uh, exotic and expensive? Yeah, I mean, hard ticket. I love just looking at that movie because there was some really truly gorgeous well, shots in there. Transition scene where Donna and Taryn are flying the honeymoon couple. Yeah, to their yeah. retreat. Oh, that's... and it's just like this big long shot and just so freaking gorgeous. Yeah, it's hard to make Hawaii look bad. Yeah. I mean, you just put the camera there and just point it and just shoot. And you can understand why the island of Molokai cooperated so fully with him for all these films. Mm -hmm. Because he was making a case for, hey, come out to this island. Forget about Honolulu. Come over here. Exactly, yeah. The other thing, too, is that I had no idea that he ever used model planes and model helicopters either. (laughs) Don't really uh, knock me for a loop when I found out that the helicopter was just a tiny little model. Yeah. I don't know if it was him or his son. Really was a radio-controlled model enthusiast, which is why... And that's another thing that's, I think, a staple of Sidaris' films. If he had a passion for something, he put it in every single one of his films. Right. Now, granted, something like Big Breasts, that's something all guys have passions for. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I was telling you before, I was on the floor in fits of laughter at the conclusion of one movie, Fit to Kill... Where they're having two radio controlled helicopters <laughs> battling each other. Donna Spears got one, and Julie Strain's got, got the other one. Woo-hoo. And instead of shooting each other yeah. with the rockets on the helicopter, they're shooting at the helicopter right. trying to knock them down. I said, well, why does it Donna just shoot her? And you know, oh, man, it was just hilarious. You guys ever done any uh, remote control kind of stuff on your own? Any helicopters or cars or anything? I haven't. My brother in law. Alex Cabestor, he's a radio control fanatic. He's got cars, right. he's got planes. He's really into that stuff. I go up to his house, and he lives upstate where he has these yeah. huge fields. He can go into, like, man, come on, let's go, let's go. Let me show you my new plane. Let me show you my new car. And yeah. The closest I came to was I had a, a brief flirtation with model rocketry when I was a little kid. I had one of those red rockets that you used mm-hmm. to pump up full of water, right? Right. The books, and you shoot those in the air. That's all I have. But the remote control stuff, I, the times that I've tried to play with one of the cars and get it to go around the corner, it's really difficult. So obviously they had somebody that really knew what they were doing with these remote controls in, in, in his films because well, they, uh, you know, they were impressive and authentic. Isn't it Do or Die that has the scene that actually takes place in the annual radio quarter-sized model show? <laughs> really? Which, the film stops for about ten minutes while you see all the different plane models and the announcers explaining what quarters modeling is and all this. In my watching of Andy Sedaris' films, I gradually came to realize there were two scenes I absolutely knew I was going to see. There was going to be a scene in the hot tub with a bunch mm-hmm. of naked yes. women, and there was going to be some kind of radio control, either helicopter or car. Right. <laughs> Why just... Plan out your plan of attack when trying to fight bad guys, when you can do it naked in a hot tub. I wonder what it's like being naked in a hot tub. It's never happened to me, man. I know. I have lived a sorely, sorely sheltered life. I don't want to talk about it. I mean, I've been in a hot tub, but not, you know. And I've been in a hot tub, but, you know, just that situation has never come up. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, you know, it gets really hot in those things. you got to get out in five minutes. I couldn't hang out in there all day. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm willing to give it a try. I just yes. Well, depending on the company, of course. So let, let's talk a bit about some of the characters in the. I guess you'd call them the Sidaris verse. Should we start with the Abilene brothers? Or I guess we're there first. Or do we start talking about Donna Hamilton? Well, Ken's the expert. Let him you, pick. Do you pick? God, I'll, I'll go with it, man. Just start where you want. Well, I guess that we'd have to start with because Malibu Express, even though it's not formally a part of the Ladies of Lethal series, it's kind of like the prequel, and that introduces the Abilene brothers. Yeah. Who can't shoot worth well, a damn. Apparently, all of none of them can shoot straight. <laughs> who's uh, was the Michael Shane character? Who's like the most prominent of the Abilene's? Who's in like 
half a dozen of these films. Okay. Is like Donna and Taryn, and later on Donna and Nicole, and later on Donna and whoever's boss. Right. And he's played by the same actor through the whole thing? Michael Shane, yeah. Michael Shane, okay. Well, that's another thing about Sidaris, is that if he liked you, if you were on his set and he liked you, you had a job for life. You had a job, yeah, he kept you working, yeah. In fact, to the point where you remarked when you got to Fit to Kill that it was hard to keep track of all the agents that were running around. Yeah, because in that one, I think he had about eight agents that was running around, and bad guy, there was a whole bunch yeah. of bad... I was having a problem keeping the agents straight in my mind. Okay, well, he's an agent, or she's an agent, or... Is right. she, the two major agents, I think, who have appeared in the most films is, of course, Donna Hamilton, played by Donna Spear, and E. Stark, played by Cynthia Brimhall. Donna Spear was in... How many of those was she in, Ken? She was in, I think, five of them. I'd have to check. Well, I, I know that, that she was in all six of the ones I, I've seen in the last okay. two weeks. <laughs> so, and she was in Fit to Kill, too, right? So that makes seven. How many have you seen, Ken? Well, I assume you've seen all of them, right? At some point in my life, I've seen all of them. And, Tom, you've seen six. I've seen, oh, seven counting Malibu Express. Okay, and I've seen three. Malibu Express and, and Hard Ticket to Hawaii were on TV constantly for right. many years. So everybody has seen those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was saying to Tom, I have no idea where I've seen it at, but I was watching Hard Ticket. I've seen this somewhere before. You ever watch a movie and flashes will come to you? Okay, I've seen this scene, yeah, I've remember. seen that scene. For some reason, I think it was on TNT one night, 2 o'clock in the morning or something. I don't know. But snake I, coming out of the toilet. Yeah, because I, yeah. Snake coming out of the toilet. I, now that I remember. That yeah. I always remember from my first time I saw Hard Ticket to Hawaii and Donna serving the notice on the guy looking thoroughly bored. Okay. Here's my ID. Here's my badge. And here's your summons. And here's my shotgun. That's Tom, Savage look, Beach. I guess, uh, Dark Castle, but Tom, were you lucky to see any of these uh, in the theater back in the 80s? Never got to see them in the theater. Because I'm assuming that they would have played on 42nd they Street. They played on, I know for a fact that Savage Beach played on 42nd Street, but I never got a chance to see any of them in the theater. I, you know, that's amazing, because me and my friends would go to 42nd Street, and we right. did what back in those days, Tom, as you will know, yeah. it's called the 42nd Street Crawl. Mm-hmm. We would go there and start at one theater, and start work our the way Selwyn, and the Thalia, the Harris... All the way down to three kung fu movies all the time. Yeah, work our way down the whole block and spend the whole You know thing. about that theater, right, Ken? Uh, there was no. a theater. It was on the corner of 7th Avenue and 42nd Street. It was just known as three kung fu movies all the time. It had no name on it. It just had a sign that said right. that. Three kung fu All through the 80s. Yep. That's all they ran. Three kung fu movies. And would you know what kung fu movies were playing? They, they ch- yeah, they changed it every week. It didn't have like a name like the Chopsaki or the Oriental. It was just three kung fu movies all the time. Yeah. Everybody knew when you said that what you meant. Mm-hmm. When did that all start fading away, the, the whole 40 second? With fucking Giuliani. I hate that guy. It was like the 90s or something that it was all no, it, started? I'm sure you're aware of a fucking monster that we had as mayor for eight years by the name of Rudolph Giuliani. Right. One of the first things he did was he started cleaning out 42nd Street and sold the development rights to Disney. Which is why when you go to 42nd Street now, it's a small world after all. Ken, it never fails to crack me up when I first went down to 42nd Street after Disney had taken it over. That the new Amsterdam where the Lion King is playing at, a family-orientated thing, was once the most notorious triple X-rated mm-hmm. movie theater in yeah. all of Manhattan. <laughs> But they had cleaned it up. You would never known it. That was a theater in Taxi Driver right. where Robert De Niro took Civil Shepherd. Just right. the X-rated movies, yeah. If you'd been ever down there in the 80s, you would never recognize it. They have managed to leech everything that yeah, was... I, I went a couple of times in the 80s uh, specifically yeah. to go to see movies. I went to see the Street Trash premiere. Mm-hmm. I forget what that was. And I went to see the Blood Diner premiere. 
right. uh, 8th Street Playhouse, which I guess is not 42nd Street. Yeah, well, no, that doesn't exist now anymore either. Most of the great theaters that I remember from going to in the 80s are gone now. Yeah, yeah, they're all gone. I think the only really one, that's the whole, I think the Zigfeld. Yeah, the Zigfeld still is still around. there. The Zigfeld is still around. So in what fact, do you guys do? Where do you go to the movies? Do you guys have to go to a multiplex like everybody yeah, else? Yeah, like now? everybody else. There are only two single-screen movie theaters in New York City now. The Zigfeld, which we just referred to. Yeah. And is it the Rialto, is it? Is that what, on 44th? The one over on, it's on 2nd Avenue and I think it's 60th Street. Oh, okay, yeah. The one yeah. that, for the longest time, Woody Allen had it in his contract that his films had, had to, to premiere right. in this movie theater. What happened to the one on... 44. Was it 44th and Broadway? It's now a concert venue. Oh, okay, It's a Nokia yeah. concert hall. Because that's where I saw Star Wars. Yeah. Star Wars ran in for like six months, mm-hmm. man. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, I think I saw it yeah. there too. Uh, so did I. It used to be, for me, I lived two doors down from what is the, and this is a piece, a little piece of history, the longest continually running movie theater in the country. The Ridgewood Five Flex. Well, it was called the Ridgewood Five Flex when I moved in, but originally it was just called the Ridgewood. It is closed down, and so I have to walk all the way up to Atlas Park, which is this faux outlet store-looking motherfucking... Yeah. We're not really just a big, nasty mall. We're a little outlet store. woo woo Yeah. And I have to go to the Atlas movie theater, which isn't that bad, but it's still, it's not the same. So this whole legacy of the whole Grindhouse era that you guys uh, grew up on is just completely 100% obliterated. Like Pretty much. Oh, it's gone, yeah. I don't know how it is in other cities, but as yeah. far as New York is concerned, yeah. I mean, the whole Grindhouse thing, yeah, that's gone. It's gone. I think it started dying out here when DVD, before that, VHS, became common. Because then you didn't have to go out to a cruddy theater to see a cruddy movie. You can right. see the cruddy movie in the privacy of your own home where nobody's looking at you and asking you for smokes or trying to pick a fight <laughs> with you or peeing on you. Well, and that's one of the things Sleazoid Express used to talk uh, almost specifically about what the experience was hanging out at these grindhouses. Now, do you remember it being the, with lots of, of sleaze and rough trade happening and, and all that stuff? Or do you remember just you could go sit there and watch a movie unmolested? Well, it all depends on where you went. Because if you went on a Friday or Saturday night, like me and my friends did, because when growing up in Brooklyn, that was the big thing. To go yeah. out on Friday or Saturday night to friends and go to 42nd Street. I was in a movie theater one night where a guy refused to shut up and another guy actually pitched him on the balcony he just ran down there and said didn't I tell you to shut the fuck up yeah one night two girls got into a fight it was a nightmare on Elm Street and two girls got into a fight and started cutting each other with box cutter wow bananas but also a lot of times you went and you could sit there and it was almost like a party atmosphere people came in with buckets of chicken Chinese Mm -hmm. food and they would share it around and they would share joints and Mm -hmm. beers yeah people came in with coolers the 42nd Street, full of beer. The management of these theaters were, how shall we put it, lackadaisical? Uh, yeah, okay, I was looking for a little bit of a nastier <laughs> word, but yeah, lackadaisical works. I mentioned earlier the Drake Theater. This was a theater that was near where my mother lived. It no longer exists. It's now part of a Italian restaurant. Mm-hmm. It had fallen on hard times, so they instituted a 75 cents for two movies program. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. The thing was, of course, it was like they would just throw any two movies they happened to have. So you would see Fright Night and Jim Cotta. Or you would see Cannonball Run 2 and Body Double. Nobody bothered doing any maintenance on the thing. So there was one screen where when you went in there, there was a pile of broken seats. Because when the seat got broken, they just tore it out. And they just threw tore it, it out, yeah. On the front. And there was a hole about the size of a silver dollar in the movie screen that was angled in such a way that it lined up with a hole in the roof so that you literally had a beam of sunlight 
continually yeah. flowing into the theater. Nice. But plenty of times you go there, and you sit in really a lot of times, because I went and nobody would bother me and my friend. Well, of right. course, we went, it was like three or four of us were sitting together, so nobody was going to mess with us. But Eric I, is a big guy. But I even went by myself like a couple of times. I remember I saw, what was it? Oh, my, one of my favorite horror movies, Phantasm. Right. I went by myself, nobody bothered me. It all depends on what time you went and also what kind of attitude that you right. presented. If you look like a herb, yeah, somebody was going to mess with I you. I remember but going with like my you. friend to see Alien Squared. Okay. And we were just so pissed off at how bad this movie was, it just became, who can make the funniest comment? Oh, yeah. The group of us in the audience just shouting out, my favorite was when Rock. Mm-hmm. How come I can't remember the actor's name? Charles... Charles yeah. Pants. Charles... Yeah, you know, because he's like the priest in that film, he's giving this whole speech about, we have to be good with God, and God will be on our side, and I know this to be true, and I just say it out, because I'm a garbage man. <laughs> everybody. Well, you know, long before Mystery Science yeah. Theater, we had 42nd Street. Because you would go there, and heaven forbid if the movie was boring or yeah. bad, because then the audience started cracking on the movie. A lot of times, the audience was more entertaining than what you yeah. were watching. People would be falling this out. This is a culture lab. that, as you and I have discussed, because we're going to be doing an episode sometime in the future about cult films. Cult films do not exist anymore. Nowhere in New York can you go at midnight to see Rocky Horror or Pink Flamingos mm. or any of those films that were made by the audience. Yeah, exactly. That were turned into a multimedia event because of the people who love this film mm-hmm. and turned it into a multimedia thing. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Here in Boston, we still do uh, Rocky Horror, but mm-hmm. and occasionally there's midnight movies, but there is no specific place to go to see them anymore. But and certainly when I was growing up, too, they had... I mean, there's a few independent uh, theaters still around that do funky stuff here and there, mm-hmm. but I, I can think of three theaters that were specifically like two different double features every day, uh, and it was often films that had cult following, a couple of Hammer movies, right. or Road Warrior and Clockwork Orange and all this Blade Runner and all that kind of stuff. That culture is completely gone at this point. Yeah, yeah, because me and Tom have talked about this. God help me. If I hit the lotto, man, I'm opening up a movie theater. I'm opening up a, a revival movie you theater. You know the, the, what I would be doing is I'd buy the Ridgewood, which is now moldering. Yeah, right next to it. I'd convert it. Yeah. Use the bottom two screens to play first run, break down the three smaller screens, turn it into one big screen, and use that as a revival theater. And we'd invite all our friends to come and That's hang right. out with us and watch movies all day That's right. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, every October, which is our anniversary, uh, Stacy and I go to Tucson, and they have a great theater there called The Loft. It's a revival house. And every Monday, they have Mondo Mondays where they show cult right. movies. Last time we were there, they showed Ginger. Whenever you can, the guy that runs it tries to find someone involved with the productions to actually have at the show. And he had the sound recorder for Ginger. I suppose that's a little obscure as far as credits go, but it was it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. These revival houses are very uh, far and few between these days because people don't really uh, yeah. go out to the movies as much unless it's something... Well, it used to be here in New York. We had Thalia. We had two Thalias, in fact. We had the Thalia downtown. We had the Thalia up on 92nd Street. We had the Film Forum Annex. Mm-hmm. That little theater that was in like an apartment building. Yeah. If you remember, uh, just remember. off 8th Avenue. Mm, I remember. Well, oh, there was the St. Mark's Theater. Yeah. I remember. Where I saw with my two friends from college Battle Potemkin and turned it into a comedy about a game show. St. <laughs> <laughs> Mark's is, I, I believe, where uh, I saw Street Trash. But let me ask you this What is the best film or films that you can think of if people want to just gawk at uh, what 42nd Street was like? Back in the grindhouse. I, I know that Basket Case has some media Basket shots. Basket Case is great. Shaft, Shaft is that whole opening five minutes. 
Yeah. Where Shaft is coming out of the subway and is walking around. I felt my heart break a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Because that's a voice that she just doesn't exist anymore. Um, Fear City, the, um... Abel Ferrara. Abel Ferrara, Abel Ferrara film. yeah. So, well, any Abel Ferrara film really will give yeah. you a sense of what New York was like, period. Right. Then. Same thing oh. with Larry Cohen. Miss 45. China Girl. A lot of the, uh, 70s Larry Cohen films. Yeah. Special effects. The ones that he did with his own money. Mm-hmm. Just because to prove he could make a movie and not just make a gimmick. That has a really good sense of Midnight, late 70s. Midnight Cowboy, even though I can't stand mm-hmm. the movie, but it is good for that New York flavor yeah. when you, yeah, you know. True. Were there any TV shows shot back then in New York? In the streets of New York City? Kojak? Was Kojak? Kojak was. But you know what the thing is? I mean, even back then it was a fantasy yeah. New York. Most of those New York based shows actually were shot in Los Angeles. Yeah. But they sent crews out here to do stock footage stuff. Mm. But I think that Kojak was shot in New York. Tully Savalas did have some clout at that time. And mm. he insisted that it be shot there for realism. How um, great was he in the Horror Express, by the way? Fantastic. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he just came on as Telly Savalas. It was like... Uh, Telly Savalas played Telly Savalas. Wherever he goes. Except for a James Bond movie. Where I thought mm-hmm. he was the perfect Blowfield. I loved him as Blowfield. Most people say, oh, they couldn't stand him. I thought he was great as Blowfield. Because he was a hands-on. Blowfield didn't mind doing his own dirty work. <laughs> like, what was he, like a Russian guy? What did he do in that movie? Yeah, I think he was like a... He was on the Trans-Siberian Express. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think he was supposed to be Russian. But, of course, he was Telly Russian. And also he played the bad guy in the Assassination Bureau, which yes, is another which movie, is a great film. A movie that I can't say enough about. And everybody, after you listen to this, put it on your Netflix mm-hmm. queue. Kelly himself said he loved the Assassination yeah. Bureau. Well, who would? Oliver Reed, Diana yep. Rigg, Telly Savalas. Just getting back quickly to the 42nd Street. They, uh, a movie was released last week on DVD called uh, Riot on 42nd Street from the late uh, 80s, from 1987. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen this movie? I have not seen it. No, I didn't even know it was out. It's supposed to take place mostly on 42nd Street in 1987, which, Mm -hmm. to me, uh, maybe you guys are into some of the shots. Who knows? I don't know. I'd have to see it. The only things I can definitely say that you could see me in is an episode of Remote Control, where, because it was shot in 1988, (laughs) I looked like what would happen if Fred Schneider and the Pet Shop Boys had a baby. (laughs) And an episode of USA Up All Night, one of those rare crossover episodes where you had Gilbert Gottfried and Rhonda Shear together, was shot in the old Palladium, which no longer exists here in New York. It was a tribute to New York ska, and at one point, if you look really closely, my pants fall down. Wait a minute, so you're telling me you were on the remote control show? Yes, I was. How does that happen? They had auditions here in New York. This was their last season. This is the season with that stupid blonde woman whose name I can never remember because she was so generic. I was a Marisol, but I know a lot of people love... Carrie Ward. A lot of people have the heart on for Carrie Ward. And then there was Alicia Coppola, who was dull as dishwater. And then there was this generic blonde girl. And they had auditions. You went there. They did a brief interview with you. And then you did a mock version of the show. Then they sent you back. And then they called you later. And I got on the show. Do you have the proper look? Is that what they were looking they were for? Looking, I think they were looking for two things. They were looking for energy, they were looking for a look, and they were also looking for a person who would actually have some knowledge. Yeah. So you get on the show, and what happens? It was shot in a studio on 103rd Street in Spanish Harlem. First thing that happened was I got to meet a very young man by the name of Adam Sandler, who was uh, one of the bit players in that show. You were taken up to a really small claustrophobic office where their line producer, Jenna, was really fucking hot. I mean, they should have put her on the screen instead of any of the women. She she was just, ugh. And you sat there for several hours, drank a lot of soda, 
and then you went down to the stage. So were you hanging out with, with your fellow contestants? Yeah, we were kept in with our fellow contestants. So did you size them up? Did you figure out who was going to win this thing? <laughs> <laughs> we had tried to have fights with rusty knives, but Jenna stopped it. My grandfather used to have a saying, if you sit down at a poker table and you can't spot the sucker, that yeah. usually means the sucker is you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Then so, they, no, Tom did not... <laughs> oh, I came in second. I, I oh, came, you did? I, right. It was me, this red-headed guy from New Jersey, and this guy who was a spinning image of Bunny Carlos from Cheap Trick. What a motley crew. <laughs> Try picking a winner out of that bunch. Of course, the fun thing for me was at that time, before he became a big, fat, know-nothing, mm-hmm. I was a big fan of Colin Quinn. And apparently my friend, who had been on the show the day before, had said something to him. Mm-hmm. About, oh, well, my best friend's coming in to be on the show And he's like one of your biggest fans So he came up to me and made a big deal about Oh, you're Tom, you know that guy And he just like made this whole big <laughs> deal out of this uh-huh. And was just like fucking with me for a couple of minutes mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool Do you get anything for coming in second? A year's supply of Starburst And I oh, fucking sh- hate Starburst It's fascinating because they always say a year's supply What is a year's supply of? Do they give it to you all at one time? Yeah! They give it to you all at one time. Get the hell out of here. It was five FedEx long boxes filled with the displays they have in the uh, I'd have been on stores. the corner selling that shit five yeah. minutes after I got it. How much Starburst do they expect you to eat me here, man? <laughs> I don't know, but it was... Like I said, I can't stand the shit. And I've got now... It was something like about two dozen of these smaller boxes of Starburst and all the different flavors they had at the time. They wouldn't let you take the cash. No. I was given a pair of British Knights. We all remember British Knights. <laughs> oh, yeah. They were sneakers, right? Yeah, they yeah. were they were moon yeah. boots, they were called. Yeah, BKs. And a pitch and putt set. You got hoes, man. Oh, I got hoes. The guy who eventually won, Scott, got a motorcycle. Now, see, I'd have been laying for that guy out the back <laughs> with a ski mask. And yeah. Well, man. this was the, the season also where apparently the sponsors complained to MTV about see, people winning too many cars. And mm. they made it so difficult. You had the usual clicker round, then you had the lightning round. Then you had to do a math problem while, in our case, Dennis Leary and John Tenek had a, a tricycle race in front of you. It sounds thrilling. But so, so let me ask you this. Well, at least you wanted something. It aired. You were on TV. Yes. How did that change your life? Did you get you laid being on it? <laughs> Not a wi- you got to understand, Ken. I have a copy of this videotape. I don't show it to any woman I'm dating until I've slept with her at least once. Man, you better hope I never get my hands on that, because I'm YouTubing that bad. <laughs> no, boy. you're oh, not. <laughs> I was going through my whole Jerry Lee Lewis phase, so I had my hair perm like the killer. I was wearing this 1960s tuxedo jacket. Remember, Tom, millions of people are going to hear this. A purple shirt with a, like a bolo tie with an eyeball for the slide. Yeah. It, I just looked like so 80s. If you wonder why you weren't getting laid. <laughs> oh, I was getting laid. Don't worry about me oh, getting laid. It's just I wouldn't show no, people that. I don't worry about you getting laid. Trust yes. me, I don't worry about it. I'm, I'm just, just saying. Nope. So you're saying that uh, the second date is when you usually pull out the videotape. <laughs> That's right, yes. And only if they ask. When he wants to get rid of a woman, yes. he's sufficiently banged her enough times. Okay, time to pull out the videotape. Yeah, watch this, babe. Hey, so only, only if they I, ask. I showed it to Tara Reid in the middle of our first date. If it's only if they ask, that means that you actually tell them about it. Yes, it. yes, exactly. Another fascinating thing about me, you know, in 1985, I was on... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, that works. It, it shocked me that Ken Ober passed away recently, didn't he? He did, yeah. Yeah, that's like kind of sad. Two or 53, something like that. Mm-hmm. 
I guess he had some sort of heart. De- if you got a heart defect, you're fucked, man. It always catches up with you. Whatever happened? Was it Kevin Seal? Was the other guy who was on MTV at the time? Well, he's not dead, is he? No, he's not dead, but he was actually the star of... Do you remember when somebody was floating around with the idea of an interactive movie called I'm Your Man? No. Oh, this thing was weird. I'm fascinated now. You can look it up on IMDb. And it's actually available through Netflix. Did you press a button at the theater or something? And You would sit down. They had the, the theater rigged with these... It looked like one of those joysticks that you would see on it a plane a, simulator. The movie was a basically choose-your-adventure. Yeah, it was a choose-your-adventure. Yeah. And it would have three <laughs> buttons on it. Yeah. And you would have three choices. So you would choose the red button, the, the green button, or the yellow if button. If you wanted the guy to kill the bad guy, yeah. you press the red button. If you didn't want him to kill the bad guy, you press the blue button. So it was something like that, right? Kevin, yeah. Okay. So it was Kevin Seal has the hero. And the guy who played Niedermeyer in Animal House. Okay. And it was also in all the okay. Twisted Sister videos, you know. Yeah. He was the villain. Okay. I remember seeing it and liking it as a college student, and then when I picked it up on Netflix again, I said, this thing sucked. Well, yeah, well how does you, it work out on Netflix? Do you fuck up with it on your remote you, you press, Yeah, you press the up-down button or the down button, depending upon which button you want to choose. That's interesting. I guess you can do that with the Final Destination 3 DVD as well. Yeah. But I'm 40 years old, I don't have enough time left to fuck around with these things. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. See, when, when you're 19 years old in college, yeah. that's like, oh, fun time, yay! Oh, oh. So I guess it's a neat idea, but, you know. Somehow but we I, have fallen I, far astray of Andy Sadar is here. We're I talking about think, Andy Sadar's? <laughs> <laughs> I do think that Kevin Seal was a guy that had a modicum of comedic talent on that roster of uh, Yeah, I actually liked his show on MTV. I, I always remember the, when they were introducing him, mm-hmm. they had this teaser trailer with this voice of Doom person going, MTV is starting late night programming. Mm-hmm. So they've hired somebody very cleanly suited for it, and in came Kevin Seal, laughing like a maniac with a chainsaw, and it, the, the voice of Doom <laughs> would go, and he's brought his chainsaw. Right. <laughs> okay. You, you know what's great about the whole MTV thing, too? It speaks to whatever generation is happening mm-hmm. now. So if you don't relate to right. MTV, then you're too old to watch it. That's it's right. Perfect. Mm, it's perfect that it works that way. Interesting. Because for a long time, they were speaking directly to us, and our parents right. had no idea what the fuck was going on. And now, we don't know what's going now, on. Now, we don't know exactly. Yeah. We don't know what's going on. Well, I, of course, first off, there's no music in MTV. There's no, yeah, exactly. There's no videos anymore. I come from the heyday of MTV, where if a new video came on, it was an all-day right. event. They had countdown. People stayed home from work. Why she says, now I look at MTV, I don't recognize it anymore. I say, well, where's the music videos? Yeah, exactly. I couldn't even tell you what shows uh, play on it anymore, except I think that this Jersey Shore thing is on. Yeah, that's the latest of their many reality shows where the only music is the transitionary elements. Well, that's all it is now, right? It's just reality shows. I mean, my bitchin' Sweet Sixteen... I'm a virgin. I don't want to be. All these although, other. Although I will confess, I enjoyed the Surreal House. Surreal uh, Life, yeah. That yeah, was Surreal Life. VH1. I did, I, oh, that was VH1. Oh, yeah. Right. See, I can't even keep them straight anymore. <laughs> really, I mean, because MTV used to have its own identity, right. and VH1 had its exactly. own identity. You, I can't tell anymore. MTV is still in New York, though, right? To the best of my knowledge, it's still located in the Viacom building on Broadway and 45th Street. Right, because don't they do broadcasts yes. occasionally? they still do that. Where you can look right out onto right. the Times Square right. area. One of the few okay. music shows is they, they still have, what was it, the, that show that Carson Daly used to do in the afternoon, where he sits there oh. and girls yell at him. I don't know what, he, what the name of it is, but Who's yeah. Carson Daly? Which is what Jay Leno was asking right this I'm moment. I'm serious, <laughs> Carson Daly. <laughs> He was engaged to Tara Reid. We keep I coming back to Tara Reid for some I reason. I hear his today. name, and I have no idea who people are talking about. Serious, I don't know who he is. All right, come on. You know okay. What? I don't. Serious. He was an MTV DJ who was known for being very handsome. 
Okay, he dated Tara Reid for a while. In fact, if you've ever seen Josie and the Pussycats, he has a cameo okay. where he fights Tara Reid. NBC signed him to this big mega million dollar deal to host a late night talk show to follow the late night talk show that followed The Tonight Show. Well, see, no. that's why I don't know. He was taking over the same time slot that Bob Costas used to have. And I always used to like the Bob Costas show because he's just one guest for a half an hour. Now, Ken, this is why I don't know who Carson Daly is. Because, see, me, I right. come from... The generation where talk shows had people like writer. You know who I really love? Tom Snyder. Tom Snyder had on writers. He oh. had on sign. He had different people from different walks of life. Talk shows to me now is just people coming on this to is, show uh, their latest movie. Or Tom Snyder and welcome to uh, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing I used to love about Tom Snyder. He had that like really phony laugh. That kind of like, yeah. But like Tom Snyder, David Susskind. Yeah. Guys like that. I don't watch. Love the only talk show I like watching now is Wendy Williams, and that's right. only because she's got to use rap. Right. <laughs> and she's this big, tall, six-foot Amazonian black woman, which I happen to like. I used to like oh. when Tom Snyder would have people on, like, the Ramones, and he wouldn't know what the fuck to do with them. So yeah, like, Tom yeah. Snyder always struck me as a guy that never really knew what he was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> no. He would throw somebody on there, and he would just guess his way through it. But he was the only talk show host that was cool enough to have people on there like Harlan Ellison yeah. or the cast of Star Trek or Isaac Asimov or Ray Bradbury. This is, these were guys that I was into. This is the only place I could see him on TV, right. Tom Snyder's show. Yeah, you're right. Of course, uh, you know, Murph Griffin and Mike Douglas were both on in the afternoons when I was yeah. growing up. They were just people having conversations and people trying to work things out. I just get the, the feeling that I get. Uh, looking back at the 70s, there were people trying to figure stuff out. Nobody tries to yeah. figure things out Well, I mean, even as late as the 80s when you had stuff like... Do you remember when Jon Stewart did the syndicated talk show? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he would have Ray Bradbury on. Yeah, yeah. And he would have people that he had on because he genuinely liked them. Exactly. Like Tom Snyder did. Yeah. I get the impression... That he genuinely read Ray Bradbury and, and Robert Heinlein and all these other writers right. he had. I'm sorry, I'm not interested in hearing what's the name talk about Desperate Housewife for the 50th time. And they have these same people on the same shows right. all the time. I'm sorry, that just doesn't interest me. So that's why I don't know who Carson Daly is, because okay. I don't stay up that late. To, you know, if I am up that late, I'm either writing or I'm watching. A- I think that Costas called it later with Bob Costas. That was later with Bob Costas. Carson Daly changed it to Last Call with Carson Daly. Mm-hmm. And was never heard from again. Okay. And now, thanks to the ego that walks like a man that is Jay Leno, it looks like Carson Daly will be on at the grand hour of 2.05 in the morning. Which, to quote David Letterman, hey, if you got a show on at 2.05, it's not much different from not having a show at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I appreciate that Derek doesn't know how, who Carson Daly is. I like that. <laughs> he wins on the street cred this week. Thank you. But yeah. going back to uh, Kelly's email from earlier in the show, why don't you guys do a show every week? What's up with that? I would go insane. And I'm A, too lazy, and B, probably drunk. <laughs> yeah. to do it. Although we've talked about maybe doing something along the lines of what the Hollywood Saloon has been doing lately, where they do that little half-hour thing every once in a while when a like, big issue comes up. Yeah. yeah. Called Saloon Shots. But the thing we also keep in mind is that we're now being hosted by Earth2.net, so we have somebody who's the the guy who is in control of that, that we have to run these things by first. And also, on the serious side, Tom does all the technical stuff behind the scenes because, frankly, this is black magic as far as I'm concerned with the editing. So it falls on Tom to do all that stuff. And me, 
quite frankly, we actually argue about this. I don't want him taking this whole weekend editing right. the shows. I want him to get out and enjoy himself. And Find he, a woman. And, well, <laughs> that would help, too. <laughs> you, you got to imagine these conversations. You know what would be good, Tom? If you got laid. If you got laid. So, so, so Tom, are you actually seeking female companionship? I'm actively seeking female companionship. So you're telling point. me with the combination of the MTV videotape <laughs> and, and your podcast. Yes. That you can't get a girl into bed with that winning combination? I have been dating lately. I don't want to go into this, but I had a really horrendous four years of my life being engaged to someone. And right. after I was done with that, there was about two years where I really did not want to go into that arena again. Yeah. Now I'm just finally trying to get back in. All right. To find a woman. You have a date this weekend, I'm guessing. Uh, not at the moment. Well, now you will tell us about your childhood. <laughs> well, you got several hours to come up with one. I so guess so. Girls, if you're listening, you want to date me, give me a call. Obviously, he's got a lot to work with here. Go ahead. What are your, what are your, your best points? <laughs> this is the weirdest year of Better in the Dark ever. <laughs> this is going so far off the rails. It's no way to get this thing back on track. I think that would appeal to uh, your average. What age range are you looking for 25 to? <laughs> I'm looking for a woman with a brain. You started this, remember. Well, no, the thing is, okay, and Ken, you and I have talked about this in the past. There was a period where I dated all the hotties with no brains. Like that girl Jennifer, who and the was the spinning image of Alicia Milano. And the problem yeah, with that is... I don't that is, a second, but all right. It, <laughs> you know, have I ever lied to you, Ken? <laughs> I'd have to see a picture. I don't know if I believe that. But and right. the problem with that is... The problem with that was she was so incredibly, infinitely stupid yeah. that I got tired of having these situations where I had to sit down with her and have conversations that began, Jenny, if you wanted blank, you could have come to me. But that's why you have different girlfriends for different functions. You can oh. have the dumb, pretty girlfriend just to be on your arm to go out when you want to be seen with her. Mm-hmm. You have the one who's like your buddy, right. but she has a vagina that you can hang around and, and drink <laughs> beer and burp and fart with. Then you have the showgirl who you know you're not going to get laid, but she looks good to parade in front of your friends. And fit. Yes, uh-huh. you have different girls for different purposes. And Derek, you're married, right? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> You get to live the single life vicariously through your friend Tom now. If he had a single life, yes, I would. <laughs> no, but I've been married now for going on, what, well, me and my wife have known each other for about 30 years. Wow. Yeah, but we've been married for about, what, 24. It's very impressive. 24 years. Well, it wasn't all roses and everything. We were separated for a number of years, and it actually looked like we were going to get a divorce. But we sat down, and we said, let's try to make this work. And we did, and we put right. it back together, and we've been together ever since. There were a lot of songs in the 70s about exactly that sort of thing. I bet you have a lot of songs that you can relate to. Oh, yeah. Do you ever listen to songs on the radio and they make you cry because they make you think of the journey that you've taken? Absolutely not. I have had my tear duct surgically yeah. removed. <laughs> radio in New York is shit. Yeah. There's no other way to put it. Unless, of course, you like the same eight freaking pop songs played ad infinitum every hour on the hour, or you like Tejano music, or you like... The same 10 R&B, quote-unquote, urban contemporary songs played over and over again. We don't have a free-form classic rock station. We don't have a free-form, quote-unquote, new music alternative station. When I listen to music, it's through going on the various blogs, picking up some MP3s and sampling the new artists. And since I've had XM Satellite Radio now for about, like, three, four years, I haven't listened to a new yeah. The only time I turn on the radio is I listen to our old new station, 1010. 
Like, uh, yeah, and That's I listen it. to ESPN. Why not uh, send a demo of some sort to XM Serious Radio to get better in the dark on that? <laughs> I, don't I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, they're in New York, so you, it wouldn't be a big deal for you to walk into the studio and record the show there. It's true. Yeah. Why haven't That's, we done that? I don't know. The question has never been posed before. Yeah, that's true. It's clearly time to take things up a notch with you guys. <laughs> oh, well, thank right? you. I appreciate that. I mean, how long have you guys been doing for a couple of years now, right? Going on our third year? Actually, we're going on our fourth year. Fourth year. Wow. Our first episode was recorded on Super Bowl, Super Sunday, Bowl Sunday of 2007. That is amazing. How many episodes are you guys up to? This episode is going to be episode 74. 74, yeah. So probably by the end of this year, we might have hit 100 at this point. Crazy. Barring any complications in our lives or anything like that. Uh, what complications could there be? Many right. complications. Things come up all the time. Because since I'm married, if I was a single guy, we probably could do this every week. Yeah. But since I am married and I have other obligations, like where mm-hmm. I live at, me and my wife, we own a three-family building. So I've got two floors of tenants. My second and third floor, I rent out the tenants. So occasionally wow. things come up with that that happen, family obligation. There are things that come up mm-hmm. that we have to put off a recording session once in a while. And to be fair to Tom, usually it's because I have to put him off and not him. Because Tom, right. he's right there on the spot. He says, okay, we're going to do this. This date, bam, he's here. So usually it's on my end that we have to put it off, which I do let the people know. If we, something goes wrong, blame me. If something goes right, give Tom the credit. Besides Better in the Dark, don't you guys sometimes get together and do some uh, comics-related podcast stuff? Well, Tom I- does. I do a podcast called DJ Comics Cavalcade, which comes out whenever I want, whenever I have the time. And it's yeah. just like a little short 10, 15 minutes thing to me laughing at some stupid comic. I frequently guest host with my good friend Michael Bailey on his podcast, Views from the Long Box. And in fact, we've been very rude to Jeff Johns and his stupid Blackest Night lately. To quote my telephone call from Istanbul for this coming podcast of Movies About Girl, mm-hmm. fuck Jeff Johns. Okay. I don't do a lot of podcasts. This is virtually the only podcast I do. And people all the time, they say, oh, well, Tom does four or five podcasts. How come you don't do four? I don't do it because, to be honest, I don't like the sound of my voice. The only time I will listen to this show, I will listen to it after Tom has worked his magic Mm -hmm. and I'll listen to the complete episode. After that, I never listen to it again because I don't (laughs) like the sound of my voice. I don't like how it sounds. Derek, if you had, if it was any subject other than what you're doing now, you're going to do your own podcast, Derek. What would the Derek podcast be like? What would be on it? Oh, it'd be all about me. (laughs) No, actually, I would probably do something about books because I love books. I've written four books myself. I love writing. That's what I would do. I would do a podcast where I would discuss my favorite writers and my favorite books. That's right. Both of you guys have written books, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Crazy. Wow. (laughs) So where can you find your books? Garbage bin. No, no, no. Perhaps my biggest claim to fame were the books from Byron Price, the Marvel Comics things. Okay. Which, quite frankly, have been out of print for a long time. But we've got something coming out now. Derek's got more credits than I do. Okay, I've got Dylan and the Voice of Odin, which is my modern-day pulp action-adventure thing. And i got the sequel to that coming out this month from Pulpwork Press, Dylan and the Legend of the Golden Bell. And I've got two books of movie reviews which can all be found on the Pulpwork Press site. You go to that, and you click on the link that says Store, and you can purchase all my books right from there. One-stop uh-huh. shopping. It's 24 hours with you guys. You're always creating something. Yes. And, of course, we've got coming out late this year, we've got How the West Was Weird. Yeah, that's coming from Pulpwork Press, which has got a whole bunch of Western stories. You've got one in there, I've got one in mm-hmm. there. And you guys and both ended up with a story in there. That's awesome. 
Yeah, well, I've been writing ever since I was like 12 years old. So I've got stacks and stacks and stacks of stories in my head that I will probably never live to write them all down. And we also, both Tom and I, like to write fan fiction. I don't get paid for it, but it's a great way that if I get stalled on my original fiction, it's something else to write so that I don't stop writing. Now, do you guys write sexy fan fiction with, uh, you know, lots of... Real geeky stuff. Depends upon the story. What you do, I don't. I'm just saying. And then I write movie reviews, too. I mean, I'm always writing something. My wife's friends, i never forget one time that one of her friends was saying, Oh, your husband is always downstairs in the basement. What is he doing down there? My wife said, Well, he's writing. Well, how do you know he's writing? And my wife points at the books on the shelves. Said, That's how I know. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Do you guys re- record the show in Derek's basement? Is that yes, what happened? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, that's where that's- we're at now. What's it look like down there? Well, you tell them, Tom. Um, we got these two comfy chairs. There's some paintings and vacuum cleaner and a big, big screen TV. It's just uh, like a man cave sort of situation. It's not actually a man cave. It's not set up the way that I want it to be because I knew that this house primarily is an investment. As a matter of fact, we're planning on moving to Florida in another year or two. So I don't know what's going to happen to the Better in the Dawn podcast after that. I guess we'll have to do it through Skype. Or you can encourage Tom to move to Florida. Well, folks, that's another episode of Better in the Dark. <laughs> we want to thank our whole... <laughs> that discussion. Try to work things out. It's probably easier to get girls in Florida. I'm sure it is. I'm sure Gotta it be. is. It's warmer. For... Well, not this... Well, not this people are happier when they're warm, man. It's. I tell people all the time, and that was the one thing with me and my wife, because we go down to Florida all the time. Nobody is mad in Florida. Nobody is angry. Everybody walks around with a smile on their face. And you know why? Because they're warm. Yeah, it's one of the happiest states in the country. Any of the states where it's warm and sunny, people are happy. Oh, yeah. Florida, Georgia. By the way, the most unhappy state in the Union is uh, New York. You look at the people walking down the street. People are miserable. They're unhappy. But luckily, they have podcasts like Better in the Dark to put a little (laughs) light into their lives. We're going to need to have to wrap up. But we want to take time for Ken to talk about... His efforts. So take it away, kid. My efforts regarding what, sir? Well, for one thing, we can start off with Movie About Girls. Funny guy. Uh, We do a podcast called Movies About Girls every week. See if you like chicks and you like antics and goofing around, you like Movies About Girls. Moviesaboutgirls.com. Ken and his group of friends, like Jim Ether and Cherry Bombed, and of course his wife Stacy, they review two movies every episode. They usually do a kind of like a weekly world news kind of wacky, crazy stuff that has happened in the week. One of my favorite segments, the top five, bottom five. Mm-hmm. Ken has started a segment with Des Reddick called Comics About Girls. Yeah. And starting this week, I'm doing a little couple of minutes every week. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, what happened is that my friends are oddballs, and I didn't want to just sit there with them because it weirds me out. So I had to have something to do with them. <laughs> I started a podcast. <laughs> There we and go. Now, now they're in and out in four hours and finished. You don't want Jim Ether sitting on your couch all day long. It's crazy. <laughs> hey, listen. Hey, Jim Ether is all right by me, man. Listen, I hear uh, you. If they're going to sit on your couch all day long, you might as well put them to work, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I've always kind of described movies about girls as kind of sort of a uh, drive time morning radio show. Mm-hmm. Only good. Only good. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I guess uh, in my mind when I had the idea of doing this podcast, it always sounded like a four-hour airship. I grew up listening to... And it's literally become a four-hour airship. And then, you know, later on in life, uh, Howard Stern. Mm-hmm. So that's what a radio show sounds like in my head. And, of course, I also grew up on 80s cult and punk fanzines. So I guess right. if you combine all those things, that's probably what it sounds like. That's what I think, anyway. As you mentioned, you also are a rock journalist. And uh, yeah, I write for Classic Rock and Metal Hammer magazines, mm-hmm. and I write for Total Film, and all that happens. 
I am nothing in compared to the great better in the dark. Though. <laughs> this from a man who always refers to himself as the king of podcasts. No, I, I, folks, I, we are not paying him to say this. And I've never been on MTV, nor have I released. I did release one book, but I only edited it. Right. Gigs from Hell in 2003. But that's about it. So, what, like, what's coming up for Better in the Dark? What are you guys doing next? You did Disney. Mm-hmm. You did James Bond. Right. What, what you tackle next? Well, after we're done here. What was the song that you? The really groovy James Bond song that you guys played. Oh, the name of the band is Scouting for Girls. From this Love guy, that too. it's like just this English guy and his piano. Is that the one? I wish I was well, James Bond. Yeah. Okay. I think, best of my knowledge, there's only been one album out. I think he's really good. Okay. In that kind of Ben Foldsy sort of, I'm just a guy with my piano talking about stuff. So what do you got coming up? What's happening? Well, two uh, things. I, I didn't mean to derail. I feel like I've derailed the Andy Shabazz. It just means, just means you got to come back. It just means you got to come back. That's all you owe this episode. You got to come back and we're going to... We're going to actually talk about Andy Sidaris for a <laughs> Well, in April, I'm going to be doing the entire Nightmare on Elm Street series. Because that's wow. when the new one comes the new out. The one comes out in May, yeah. May, yeah. So we're going to do that. And also, I want to do one of my favorite horror series, the Phantasm mm-hmm. series. I'm going to yeah. get those movies and watch them all, and I'm going to do... Well, I think we've decided we're going to make that into a whole Don Coscarelli episode. Yeah, So right. we'll be doing all four of the Phantasm movies. Beastmaster. We'll be Beastmaster, Bubba Hotep, all Bubba of them. Hotep. Love and, Beastmaster. Let me ask you guys, do you think that the Nightmare on Elm Street, the new one, the reboot is going to be any good? or what, um, what's, what's, I have my reservations about it. Let's just put it that way. My, my problem initially from what I've seen so far is that he just he looks like a burn victim as opposed to a supernatural entity. I don't know if that works. I think you might feel too much sympathy for him. Well, my biggest worry about this, and we've talked about the script, one of the things that's wonderful about the first Nightmare on Elm Street, I don't know if you would agree about this, Ken, is that it seems very timeless. Yeah. Uh, Wes Craven took a lot of care to not round that film in any one time frame. The script for this new remake, Nancy is an emo girl. The Johnny Depp character is a podcaster. And it looks like it's one of these films that's going to date the minute it hits the screen. But listen, if it's a big hit and he's a podcaster... Boy, it's going to really put us on the front page. Means I'm yeah. going to get laid. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> like you've never uh, gotten laid before. Because <laughs> casting will suddenly be the hot thing, and you're, you're an old salt then. Other things be- we're going to be doing on Better Dark. After we're done here, we're going to be talking to our good friend Kaylin Conley, and we're going to be covering the Shaft films in all their glory. Awesome. Our next mini-series within the series is going to be covering the Universal Monsters. Starting with Frankenstein, I think. Yeah, the classic Universal Monster movies. Since we've had some requests to do some older stuff. We're going to visit Planet Fred again. Yeah, Fred and Williamson. Talk about the great, great man that is Fred Williamson. We're also going to be doing more director's court, since yeah. people seem to like that. We're coming for you, John Carpenter. So you got a lot going on. Yeah. Clearly. So I guess this is time for the administrative. Well, actually, that's the fun thing because people say to us, well, how do you keep coming up with these ideas? For It just comes out because me and Tom just start talking. And then we say, oh, we ought to do this. We ought to write this down. We ought to write this down and do this as an episode. Because as we've said many times before, basically you just listen to what we'd be talking about on the phone anyway. If we wasn't podcasting about it, we'd get on the phone and gaff for three or four hours about movies and comics and stuff like that. Other people were planning on doing episodes focused on, we're going to focus on Larry Cohen for an episode. Mm Mm-hmm. We're going to give some love to Roger Corman. Let's see, uh, Fred Ward. Hopefully it'll be a fun and fruitful year. It's time to do, I guess, our administrative. Yep. And then boogie our way out of here. Administrate away. Whether you love us, or you hate us, or you want to say that you want to date me, or that you want Ken to replace me as the co-host of the show, 
There's a number of ways to get a hold of us. Well, maybe you actually want to know about the movies of Andy Sedaris. <laughs> we promise. We'll email you all the information. Okay, first we had the episode I called Transporting Mr. Romero, which went off the rails. Now we have this one. Yeah. Good luck with the editing, Bake. Yes. Have a good time with this one. But if you want to send us an email... You can write us at betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. Mm-hmm. You can join one or both of our message boards. Either you can go to earth2.net and click on forums and sign up for the little form that we have there, or you can join the official Better in the Dark forum at betterinthedark.proboards.com. You can go to our brand new central hub site there you at go. BITDSite.com. You can follow Derek and Maya's adventures on Facebook. We both have Facebooks. We also have a Better in the Dark Facebook Facebook fan page, which is maintained by our good friend Kellen Conley. Or, of course, you can follow us on LiveJournal, which nobody seems to use much of anymore. Everybody seems to be Facebooking. But it seems like also Facebook is going the way to Twitter. And I'm sorry, I cannot use a computer app with the word twit in it. Yeah, I've got a kind of knee-jerk reaction to that, too. No, I can't do it. But can but, I tell you what, though? I'm looking what? at your brand new site, bitdsite.com. Yep. It's beautiful. Yes. Everything's in there. Everything is there. About these two. Of and course, the, the question is, which one of us is the predator, which one of us is the alien? Well, that's something you guys can work out between. <laughs> yes. Well, I always say we let the fans right. figure it out and let us know who they think is a predator. I'm we'll guessing it changes on a on a weekly, if not daily. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, way, who would win in a fight between a predator and an alien? I say a predator myself. If the predator was getting into enough trouble, he had that bomb thing. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, oh yeah, well, fuck you, motherfucker. Boom! Exactly, and blow himself up. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I always felt it was a... Let me ask you a question, though. When the Predator, he shoots off his nuclear bomb, so is he gone, too? He's gone, too, but it doesn't matter, because oh. he got his prey. All right. Well, that's the whole point, I guess. If you're and, of course, his Predator pals are sitting in the face going like, hey, Doug went out good. Yeah, exactly. He went out with honor, man. Ken, once again, let them know where they can find your podcast, which is very funny and we recommend. Uh, Moviesaboutgirls.com. You can also go there to see Ken review various sleaze classics. It's like, what, about three times a week you update? I, you know, I try to do it every day. It doesn't happen every day. But usually it's, it's three, four, five, somewhere in there. And when I'm reviewing stuff, and if there's boobs in the movies, I try to make screen caps of the boobs for it. Woo! Like, I'm hoping one of these days you get around to one of the Carolyn Monroe movies from the 70s. I want to see some Carolyn Monroe boobs. Yeah, there'll be some for sure. <laughs> Aces! <laughs> On that note, this has been Thomas DJ. This has been Derek Ferguson. And this has been Ken McIntyre, the king of podcasting. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Reminding you that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter what bare-breasted secret agents who we didn't really talk about come up to you with big guns looking to blow you up with a radio-controlled car, go go see see that movie. movie. Good night. Good night. God bless. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas D.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Ken of Movies About Girls, Andy and John of the Hollywood Saloon, John S. Drew of the Chronic Rift, Eric Frome, and of course, the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark does not endorse chasing anyone with a bomb-filled radio-controlled helicopter, unless, of course, that person happens to be a Dowdell brother. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters to Tom, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net. 
please vote for us on Podcast Alley. And why not leave us a review on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark central site at bitdsite.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that there's no way you're seeing that video of Tom appearing on remote control unless you've slept with him at least once, which means you have to be female and preferably hot. So get your mash notes in now! I feel so up. I want to go home! You've arrived not a moment too soon. When do we start? Tonight. Good. I'd like to get in, get on with it, get it over with, and get out. Get in? Got it. Good.